Thank you for tuning in to the Deep Creek Pulpit today. Um, we are broadcasting from uh, home as um, we had the threat of potential inclement weather. And so um, uh, thank you for listening. And Lord willing, we will be back meeting together uh, in person next week. And looking forward to that. I always uh, dislike canceling service because I look forward to to meeting together with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in person, worshiping together. Uh, the scriptures tell us to, to assemble together, to gather together. Um, as we uh, looked at last week, the church is a gathering, and so um, we want to be a church that gathers, but um, sometimes it requires decision-making that um, based on weather that's unpredictable. And so um, thank you for your patience as we made this decision and your flexibility. Um, and so hope you had a, a wonderful time. If you're, if you're a member at our church, that you had a good time with your family. Um, if you're not a member, um, thank you for tuning in and listening to the sermon. And I hope it's a blessing to you. Um, and so uh, this week we're going to be uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 23. So I'm going to read that, and then we will um, dive in. Uh, The book of Ephesians, uh, Paul writes in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with His might, which He brought about in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And we want to uh, address um, the topic of what to pray when you pray for one another. Uh, so, when I just start off with a question, have you ever wondered what you ought to pray? If you have, you're in good company. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And we know that we're supposed to pray for one another. The book of James tells us pray for one another. Um, and when, when, But aside from a prayer list in a church or a friend telling you to pray for them, how do you pray on an ongoing basis? Don Whitney writes this, Father, bless them, I pray. Ever, ever prayed like this for someone? He says, I have, and it seems dissatisfying and insufficient. Is this the best way I can pray for them? Shouldn't I be more specific? One of the suggestions that Dr. Whitney has is to pray the prayers that Paul prayed for other Christians. And we're going to look at one of those prayers. And so, we're going to look at, again, what to pray when you pray for one another. What to pray when you pray for one another. And so, 
as we begin, the first thing I want us to see, number one, is to thank God for the evidence of grace in others' lives. Thank God for the evidence of grace in others' lives. And so as we get in the text, we see here that Paul begins, for this reason, he's going to establish the reason for his prayer. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers. He says, look, I give thanks for you. And what are the two reasons that he gives thanks for them? First, is that they have faith in the Lord Jesus. He gives thanks to them because these are are brothers and sisters in Christ who have placed their faith in Christ for salvation. Uh, again, if we look in the, in the previous passage, these are the people that God has chosen to receive these spiritual blessings of, of adoption as sons, to walk in holiness, to, to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus, to have their trespasses forgiven, to receive the, the seal of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of their inheritance. They have received these spiritual blessings through Christ, And they have placed their faith in Him. Now listen, I want to encourage you that when you pray for one another, that this is one of God's means at unifying the body of Christ. So I want you to understand that there's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no no such thing as a a perfect church. And, And we often... Uh, not often, but, but occasionally the church will have conflict. Occasionally, believers in the church will, will, will have opposing viewpoints. And, and we've all been in different church settings where um, those can be strongly held. And, and the church is in conflict. And so one of the ways that dealing with that is simply praying for one another. When we come to God in prayer and we thank the Lord for our fellow believers and we acknowledge that these are are our fellow believers who have placed their faith in Christ. And that those things that were so important to us that initiated the conflict seem to be less important. Because what's most important is our fellow believers. The second thing he thanks God for uh, four, is that these are people who lo- have a love for all the saints. And so, this is a the second mark of a Christian here, that they have faith in Christ uh, and an outward love towards other believers. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. Now, to be fair, the command to love one another is not really a new command. We, we see this commanded all throughout Scripture, and essentially this is a summary of one of the tablets of the Ten Commandments, of how we treat one another and how we love one another. And so, um, we get into uh, John 13, a new commandment I give you to love one another. And love as I have loved you. So maybe it's... It, it has a new understanding that we love with the love of Christ. We understand this command more fully when Jesus comes 
and loves us and dies for us, it, it makes more sense of how we ought to love one another with a sacrificial type of love. But notice what verse 35 says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And, and he's about to give the reason. Now, what is he about to say? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have a lot of knowledge about the Bible. Well, biblical knowledge is important, as we're going to look at here in just a moment, but that's not what he says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have perfect attendance in church every Sunday. Obviously, as we are not meeting in person today, and we value in-person gatherings, and, and we long for that, um, today was definitely weird for me, and, 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 I, and I, I want to be with the people of God, I want to worship with the people of God, but, but church attendance is not the mark of a, that, that is mentioned here. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so, this is a mark of a, of a believer. We have a song uh, that says, And they'll know we are Christians by our love. This ought to be a defining mark of the Christian life. And so, when we encounter genuine believers who have faith in Christ, who are loving towards one another in the body of Christ, we ought to thank God for that. We ought to praise God for that and, and thank God and prayer for these believers in our church. And not just in our church, but beyond. But most importantly, as we're praying for members of our local church that we know by name, that we see on a daily basis, that we interact with, thank God for them because they have faith in Jesus and they have love towards one another. And just as an example of that, even before I began as pastor at Deep Creek Baptist Church, I'd gotten voted in, waiting to begin the pastorate there. And as we are waiting and, 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 and experiencing that, we got tons of cards from members um, essentially welcoming us into the church, saying they're praying for us, all kinds of things like that. And, and that was so valuable to us and such a blessing to us. Before we even knew many of your names, we started receiving those cards. And what a blessing that was to my family and I and the love that you expressed towards us. And so I, I remember even in that day, I, I, before I knew many of your names, I, I, I stopped and I prayed and I thank God for that. And I thank God for the love that you showed to me and that you show for one another. So, And when we pray for one another, thank God for the evidences of God's redeeming grace in their life um, that is displayed, number one, by having faith in Jesus and, and, and love towards one another. That is an evidence that God is at work in that person's life, evidence that God has redeemed them when they have faith in Christ and love for one another. Um, so thank God for the evidence of grace in one another's life. Second, pray that God would give uh, them wisdom. So as you're praying for one another, pray that God would give uh, the person that you're praying for wisdom. Uh, the scriptures continue here, verse 17, I make mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So we're going to take these two aspects into two distinct points here. Uh, the first thing is that God would give them, pray that God would give your fellow uh, church members and believers a spirit of wisdom. <clears throat> now there's a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. You can have a lot of knowledge and not be very wise. 
you could have a lot of knowledge and, and make a lot of bad decisions. Um, and, and so the hu- there, uh, I, there's a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. And I, I've heard that wisdom is knowledge applied to everyday life. You may know a lot, but wisdom is knowing when to apply that knowledge. So as an example, we're going to look at a, a, a popular proverb. Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. Verse 4 says this. Answer a fool. Answer, I mean, I'm sorry. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like himself. So when you take this proverb alone, just a short statement, it makes a lot of sense. A foolish person who just wants to cause trouble, don't get on his level and don't answer him. So you don't want to become like them, so don't answer them. Well, look at verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, Verse 4 tells us to not answer the fool. Verse 5 tells us to answer the fool. Which one is it? That can be very confusing. And many have attacked Scripture saying you have a contradiction right here. Well, one verse says don't answer the fool. The other verse says answer the fool. Well, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And and essentially, when, when, we, when we come to this, it, it, it makes sense. There are times when you shouldn't answer a fool because you don't want to get on their level and be, look foolish yourself. But there are times when you need to answer a fool, lest he be wise in his own eyes, but essentially make a fool out of himself. You are helping that person to not look foolish and to not be prideful. And so the wise person knows when to do either. Wisdom is knowledge applied. And so um, that's just one example of, of having the knowledge and knowing when to do certain things in certain situations. And so, as you're praying for one another, as you're praying for your fellow believers, come to God and pray that God would give your fellow believers wisdom that that they would know how to apply the knowledge that they have, that, that we wouldn't just know about the Bible, we wouldn't just gain knowledge for knowledge's sake, but we would know how to apply that in our daily lives. So number three, pray that they would know God better. Verse 17, the second part, says that, um, that God may give you a, a revelation in the knowledge of Him. Uh, so... James Boyce, a well-known pastor and commentator who has since gone on to be with the Lord, says he was once asked, Dr. Boyce, what do you think is the greatest lack among evangelical Christians in America today? He replied, I think the greatest need of the evangelical church is for professing Christians to really know God. And he says, my opinion has not changed in the years since. Uh, He continues to note that one reason is that some believers often settle for mere knowledge of the Bible. Biblical knowledge... He continues to note that the reason is that some believers often settle for very little knowledge of God. He writes, we take pride in singing, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. I only know that Jesus died and that He died for me. Now that's a, a nice song. And we can sing that, but essentially what it's saying is um, we don't want to know anything else. We don't want to grow in knowledge. We don't want to grow in knowledge. And so, when we come to that, and we, we see, we need to understand that, that 
We can't just settle for very little knowledge of God because in order to know God, we have to know about Him. But while some settle for very little knowledge of God, some settle for mere knowledge about the Bible. Now, biblical knowledge is good. We need to read our Bibles. We need to know the Bible, study the Bible. But it isn't the same thing as knowing God. Other Christians, he writes, settle for knowledge about God. There are theologians that can discuss God's attributes very well. But it's possible to know a great deal about God and not truly know God. Now, I can learn a lot of facts about a particular person. I can probably uh, go and get some material and do research on a famous person. So I remember when I was in middle school, I was uh, very into basketball and very into Michael Jordan, and I would read a lot about Michael Jordan. I would study a lot about Michael Jordan, learning his statistics, learning about um, his past and, and his upbringing and things like that. Now, I, I don't remember much of it now, but, but I remember at that point I knew a lot about Michael Jordan. But I've never met Michael Jordan. I don't know Michael Jordan uh, he doesn't know me. We don't have a relationship. I don't know him. I, at that point, I knew a lot about him, but I don't know him. And so, knowing facts about a person and knowing a lot about a person is not the same as knowing someone. In order to truly know God, you've got to have a relationship with Him. So, but how do we know God? Now, I would submit to you that in order to know God, we do have to know something about Him. We do need to read our Bibles. We do need to learn uh, some things about God because we need to know who we're in a relationship with. So first thing I would recommend is that you read a book on God's attributes uh, so that you can learn about this God that you have a relationship with and know more about Him. So I would recommend, I'm just going to share a few recommendations, uh, J.I. Packer's Knowing God, A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy, and uh, or A.W. Pink's The Attributes of God, very short books, easy books to read, um, to help you grow in your knowledge of God. But don't let it in there. To truly know someone, you have to spend time with them, so uh, you need to have a consistent time set aside to spend time with God. And if you don't have that, then I encourage you to begin. I, I, I was convicted even this week um, just of, of how I use my time and how I spend my time. Um, my daughter said, Daddy, why are you always on your phone? And, and, um, and, and it was convicting because I'm on it a lot. Um, I check messages. I post things. Lots of reasons why. I'm, you know, and, and the social media is good. I'm in contact with a lot of other pastors and and a lot of people in other, other countries and other things where, where it's useful for me. Um, but at the same time, it, it can take away a lot of my time. And, um, and I'm, I'm praying through that and saying, okay, what, what, how, can I, how can I change some habits to where I'm not on my phone all the time? And so where I'm being more intentional, not only with my time with my family, but also time with the Lord. I need to put the device down. And so maybe you need to follow that same recommendation and say, evaluate your time and uh, the time that you're using and and maybe cut down on something and spend some more quality time with the Lord. And so have a consistent time set apart with God. And, and, and you need to pray. So uh, pray for one another. 
pray for one another that they would truly know God and that they would grow in their knowledge of God, but mostly they would grow in knowing Him. That, that Pray that your fellow believers inside the church would grow in a deeper relationship with God as they know God better. Pray that they would know God better. Number four, pray that they would have grow in their understanding and confidence in the gospel as we continue on in the text. We see here in verse 18, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? Number one, so that you know what is the hope of your calling. Number two, that you know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Number three, that you know what is the power of what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? The first thing I want us to see that we, we need to pray that uh, as, as we pray for one another to grow in our understanding and confidence in the gospel, that we want to pray that our, our fellow believers and our church members would know the hope of their calling. We, wanna, we want them to know what God has called them to. And we see a glimpse of that in, in, in chapter 1, of the spiritual blessings that, that are theirs in Christ. He has called them to adoption. He has called them to redemption and forgiveness. And we want them to know with certainty that that is theirs in Christ. Also in Colossians 1.13, it says, For He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He has called you to Himself, he has called your brothers and sisters in Christ to Himself and transferred us from darkness to light. This call to salvation is to call to rest in God's grace and trust what Christ has done. Now, hope, and knowing the hope of our calling, now, hope is a, um, a word that when we use it, we, we use it in a way of uncertainty. And so we may say, well, I hope... Uh, this, the, the weather is not as bad as they're saying it is. Uh, I hope that the roads don't get icy. And we may even use it in regards to sports. I hope my team wins. Well, you don't know the outcome of the game. We don't know the outcome of the weather. When we use the word hope, it is a, a term of uncertainty. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it's, it's different. It's in fact the opposite. When the Bible uses the word hope, it is something that you can bet on, something that you can take to the bank. It is certain. So when Scripture talks about the blessed hope, or, or you, you look in the Old Testament when, we, when they talked about the hope in the Messiah, that it was a certain promise that a Messiah was coming, and it wasn't a wishy-washy, well, maybe it's going to happen, maybe it won't. It was a, a, a certain thing that you could place your faith in. And so that they know with, that, with, with certainty what God has called them to in Christ. So pray for that. Pray that for your fellow believers. And number two, that they would know the riches of the glory of His inheritance. We talked about this last week a little bit, that we are adopted as sons of God, co-heirs with Christ and because we are co-heirs, we have an inheritance awaiting for us. And that, and that we're praying that our fellow believers would know the riches of the glory of His inheritance. We want to pray that our fellow believers won't lose sight of that and they will know how spiritually rich they are in Christ. Thirdly, 
We want to pray that they know the greatness of His power toward them. It says here, The power uh, toward us who believe is in accordance with the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Now hear this, church. The power that raised God from the dead is the same power that overcame your spiritually dead sinful nature and brought you to life in Christ. This power is at work inside you through the Spirit to live a holy life and to be bold witnesses for Christ. And we must pray that each other knows the greatness of this gospel power that saved us and this gospel power, this resurrection power is with us today as we live a life for His glory through His grace. The very power that raised Christ from the dead, God has toward us who believe. And it is a power that is at work in us to both live a life pleasing to Him in holiness and a life that glorifies Him as we preach the gospel to the nations. So pray for your fellow believers to have a greater understanding and confidence in the gospel because they have hope in what He's called them to, that they uh, know how spiritually rich they are in Christ and know the power that is at their disposal through the Spirit. And number five, we want to pray that they would live in greater submission to Christ. The, next, the text says next that God raised Jesus from the dead, seated Him at the right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and, that ev- and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, and has put all things in subjection under His feet. Now Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you, you can think of any human with the greatest authority, the greatest power on this earth, and Jesus is Lord over that of Lord over them, and all things are in subjection to Christ. And listen, we're either going to submit willing to Him, willingly to Him, living under His rule and reign with joy as one of His adopted children, or we'll feebly try to run from Him as a child throwing a tantrum, tries to rebel against the authority of their parent as their parent hauls them to the car, to the room, or to the table while they're kicking and screaming. And maybe speaking from experience. But listen, We either submit joyfully to Christ or we resist. And trying to have our own autonomous authority. Either we're going to submit because we know God is the king or we try to be king of our own lives. Psalm 2 speaks of this. It says, let the... Let the nations and the people take counsel against the Lord's anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Essentially, it's the nation saying, we don't want God's authority over our lives. We want to live our own way. And here in the text, you have God laughing. It has this picture of God laughing because He's going to receive the final word. Their attempts at rejecting His authority is futile because He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we also have that picture of Jonah. Uh, God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. And and Jonah was like, nope, I'm not doing that. And uh, goes, finds a ship, tells him to take him to somewhere else, the opposite direction. And yet God caused a storm and a fish to swallow Jonah and spit him up on the shore exactly at the place God wanted him to be. It would have been a whole lot easier for Jonah just to submit willingly to the Lord and to do what God was calling him to do. And we must pray that our fellow church members 
will not follow in the ways of the culture that wants to cast off God's authority, but rather pray that they willfully and joyfully submit to Christ who rules and reigns as sovereign king over all. And lastly, and we'll be through, is that we want to pray that our brothers and sisters have a greater commitment to the church. As we continue, that uh, verse 22, that he put all things, things in subjection under his feet, says he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, him who fills all in all. Now this last verse says that God gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. And it, and it, it describes Jesus as the body of Christ, and it describes the church as the fullness of Christ. Now, I want us to understand something. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Every church, big, small, Baptist, Methodist, Christian, is going to have problems. Because it's made up of sinners. And many young people quickly give up on the church because of said problems. Not just young people, but older people as well. We give up on the church because, well, it's filled with problems. But notice this, Jesus is the head of the church. And if we are truly living in submission to Christ, the church is his body, then we will place ourselves under the care of a local church as an expression of our total submission to Jesus. If you are living in submission to Christ, then you are living in commitment to a local church. Not only are you just attending, you are serving Being in Christ means being in His body, the church. Notice that the church is also described here as the fullness of Him. I want you to hear this. The local church, even though it may have its flaws, is the fullness of Christ. It is the gathering of those who have been redeemed by grace, and it is the place where the fullness of Christ's glory and grace is most on display. You want to know where you can experience the fullness of Christ? Then come to church. Come to church and worship with the gathering of the redeemed. You know, even as we are worshiping apart today, it's it's not the same. And, and, And it ought to create in us a longing to gather and to be with the people of God. I'm preaching a sermon in an empty room. And it's not the same as preaching, seeing the faces of those who God has saved, seeing the faces of those whom God has redeemed. Seeing the head nods as they see God at work in people's lives. And so, the church is the place where we experience the fullness of Christ. Does the church have problems? Yes. Is there going to be conflict? Yes. Are there flaws? Yes. We're made up of sinners, but we are made up of redeemed sinners. Sinners who have been redeemed by grace and who have the fullness of the Spirit living inside of us and who love one another. And we love one another despite the fact that each one of us has flaws. Each one of us sins, yet we love one another because God has first loved us. And so pray for one another that we would have a greater commitment to the church as we're fully submitting to Christ. Thank God for the faithfulness of those active members who are here week in and week out giving themselves to serve 
and minister to one another, but, but pray for those who are on the fringes, who, who, who maybe have faltered in their commitment to Christ and, and who think that they could do their Christian life on their own. Pray that God would bring them back to the fold. Pray that God would draw them back into fellowship with the saints. And pray that, they, that, that God would, would speak to them and reveal to them that they can't do this on their own, that they need other believers in Christ. And maybe you're here listening today um, to the podcast, to the sermon. And, and as you're listening, you're, you're kind of realizing, man, I, I do, I need, to, I need to be with the people of God, I need to worship. If you're in our community, in the Deep Creek community, we, we, we welcome you to come worship with us. We're not perfect, but we're a, fa- a group that loves one another and that loves Christ. If you're listening and you're in another state, in another country, I pray that you would find a body of believers who believe the Word of God, who love one another, and that you unite and connect with them and live in fellowship with them and grow together with them. We want to pray for one another that we are, live in greater commitment to Christ. As we end, listen, I want to acknowledge that praying is hard. Sometimes we forget to pray. Well, We'll have a brother and sister say, hey, pray for me, I'm going through X. And we'll say, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. And then we forget. It happens. Sometimes we may grow tired when we pray. We may get distracted in prayer, and sometimes we don't know what to say. But I hope that Paul's words here in the book of Ephesians will be a model for you as you pray for one another daily. That is, your fellow members in your church come to mind that we wouldn't just pray for needs as they arise, but we would pray these things daily for them. That we would thank God for the evidence of His grace in their life. That we would pray that God would give them wisdom. That they would know Him better. And pray that they would have, have a greater understanding and confidence in the Gospel. And pray that they would live in greater submission to Christ and have a greater commitment to the local church. Thank you for listening. And let's pray together.